have 60 seconds to comply. I think you'd better do what he says, Mr. Kenny. You have 60 seconds to comply. This is minute 49. Part man. Part machine. All part. This minute begins with Emil filling his bike's tank and ends with Emil recognizing Robocop. So, uh, I like the line, I'm a good shot, dot, 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 dot. Um, is he, though? Mm. Um, he likes to think he is. Well, okay, so he's holding a Mac-10. Mm. <laughs> that's that's the gun. Um, yeah, I, I, I've got up the uh, Internet Movie Firearms Database. Very important. Yeah. So, I've just got to read this out. The MAC-10 didn't generate a lot of interest from the US military due to its small size and high rate of fire, too high it turns out for most operational uses. The lack of a foregrip motivated MAC to provide a grip strap in the front so a second hand could hold down the gun and control the extreme muzzle climb when firing in long burst. Okay. It was, it was still an awkward weapon to fire and was most popular when mated with an effective sonic sound... Blah, blah, blah. Uh, it, mostly because the suppression increased the length, which made it easier to handle. <laughs> Emil's one hand shooting this. He's <laughs> to shoot a guy behind what one would be assume a plexiglass or something that might be bullet resistant, at least fire resistant, one would hope. I don't think the guy's got that much to worry about. <laughs> Yeah, so even it's not firing real bullets, but that would still be really difficult to do, I'd imagine, right? Or well, that's the thing. It's it's a it's a submachine gun. You know, mm. most submachine guns aren't really known for their accuracy. They're spray and prey weapons. Yeah, well, I don't think he's particularly known for his accuracy. <laughs> no. Also, he is smoking at a petrol station. I know. <laughs> just wants to yeah, I watched a video recently that's a fire hazard yeah I watched uh, Adam Savage did a video <laughs> about uh, how horrifying petrol is just it is mm. it turns into a vapor very quickly yeah. it turns into it just goes into the air so if there's yep. fuel lying on the ground and you throw a match at it oh it's not just gonna go there you know like uh that scene mm. in um in the dark knight you know heath ledger yeah. he pours all the the fuel all over that cash but he's standing yeah. there talking for a while so while he's standing <laughs> there it's going into the air they can probably smell it then he lights a match Whoa. that would just go out yeah well this is when we get into the nerdy nitty-gritty of film production so in the in the fictional meta-universe that is the Dark Knight, yes. Mm. It's probably petrol or something like that, or if you get, you, know, you see them with the gas containers. Maybe it was just diesel. Apparently diesel doesn't explode as much as, as petrol. Does. Yeah, I was going to say, it, yeah, it could be that. Oh, in, in for movie terms, it would be, you know, it would be a... Um, I, I can't remember what the freaking stuff is called, but it's basically a viscous mm. petroleum-style material that's... Uh, they cover it... Vaseline! <laughs> <laughs> actually, I've never tried setting Vaseline on fire. Hmm. No, Vaseline's actually used to prevent uh, skin burning and stun people. Ah. Uh, Vaseline, so, like petroleum jelly and stuff like that, you know, they usually cover hands and faces and stuff like that when they... It's, it's a more heavy-duty thing, I believe. So it's turned into the opposite. Yeah, it's, you know, it became the thing it tried to... You became the very thing you tried to destroy! <laughs> yeah, but usually, like, if they're doing specific things, because of vapor and stuff like that and they're, they're wanting to control the fire they they 
they're very smart with that type of stuff, you mm. know. So yeah, they wouldn't have something that might react petrol air mixture which could cause a combustion unless it was a deliberate combustion it must be so great for those pyromaniac kids who are always getting in trouble setting the mm. carpets on fire blowing shit up it's like yeah you can get a career yeah. doing this <laughs> yeah i i have a little bit of a pyro uh you know past i'm not set shit on I mean, i've set shit on fire but not like you know i've set big thing or something like i was interested in you know, that kind of For stuff. whatever reason, on my dad's side of the family, I don't well, adults not so much, but every freaking kid on that side of the family goes through a pyromaniac <laughs> phase, and I don't understand why. Fire is the ultimate cleanser. Well, I just like to, like, you know, like, I'd had some, like, uh, say, like, model glue, and, like, you can draw a line with that kind of stuff and set it online, you know, just basically you could draw and blame stuff on that. Uh, cool. It'll just burn that. There's ways around it, like, a lot of movies I'll use. Oh, I'm getting nerdy. I'm not even getting to the nerdy bit I wanted to nerd out on. But yeah, they have to control flame because it's dangerous. We're we're a bunch of nerds, Simon. This is going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like flame bars you know, things like that, which, which they put across the camera to, you know, if they want to make it look like the entire room's on fire. Mm. They have to control it. And yeah, they usually use like, you know, petrochemical stuff, but it's... Yeah, it's not as volatile. I really want to know, and this is sort of... I was going to make a bit of a, a jump over to, to Christine, my favourite movie of the moment. <laughs> uh, it is relevant, I swear. But uh, yeah, I'd love to know how they set Christine on fire. Was someone driving that while she was on fire? There's very little behind-the-scenes stuff, and it frustrates me. Given the era, probably. <laughs> <laughs> No, so they would probably have, like, flame bars and stuff attached. So, like, the inside of the cabin's probably fine as long as, you know, the, the, the stunt driver is, like, not going to lean out yeah. and do something. So it's probably, like, uh, yeah, light bars or something. Sorry, light bars. Fire bars and things like that. Cool. Uh, I think they sometimes use, like, the fire bars are usually um, gas. Not, like, you know, American petrol gas, but, like, you know, natural gas. Mm. The butanes and stuff like that. So they're a lot more controllable and things like that. They just ignite, turn it on, ignite, and that's it. It's yeah, no I'm looking closely at Christine right now, as I like to do. So it's a good uh, hobby of mine. <laughs> um, yeah, it's very carefully placed. It's not coming out of the under the engine itself. Yeah, it's all on top. So hmm. yeah, that's it. Those okay. There's good reasons why you don't just set a car on fire. One of it is repeatability. You want to be able to keep using the car to reshoot and stuff like that. Also, movie cars are expensive. Yeah, especially a rare car like the Plymouth Fury, which apparently was just so stock standard. It was like the most hmm. standard car back in the day. <laughs> or the one I always think of is Ghostbusters. There was two things that were ridiculously expensive on that movie. One was the Ectomobile, because I only had one of them. Ah. They always got a little bit worried when uh, Dan would thrash the fuck out of it. Uh, and the other one was Egon Spengler's grey suit at the end of the... when the HQ explodes, because uh, that was a one-off suit. They couldn't get another one. They couldn't afford another one. And they were worried that it might get ruined by the water. So I guess in this scene, well, the the explosion to come, I guess they got <laughs> one take at that, and that was it. Yeah, they, that's usually a one-take deal. Uh, I'm trying to remember which... Um, so I'm trying to remember how many, but it was like um, Lethal Weapon 3, mm. where they blow up the building. They could only do that in one take. They literally blew up a building. I think at the time it was like the biggest 
a special effect explosion in Hollywood history. And I think they had about 12 cameras. And so all the footage of that sequence was pieced together from that. Mm. I'm not entirely sure all the cameras survived. Yeah, I wonder if there are scenes in movie history where, you know, we have one shot at this and it gets totally fucked. Yeah, that's happened a couple of times. And it's usually not so, for example, like, say, an explosion. It's usually not because the explosion's gone, because, but something else is fucked up, usually technical. Yeah. So, like, yeah, if there's not got enough coverage, you know, you could probably cut around that. But, yeah, if there's, like, the camera just... what well, None of the cameras caught anything, or, like, you know, there was a technical glitch. It's usually where they've had to spend money to uh, recreate and do it again. Yeah, like, um... Anne Hathaway cut her hair, well, her hair was shaved, uh, as mm. she was filming Les Mis. And that's what, yeah. least, I, that's what I think of first, like, oh, I mean, if you're doing anything technical on that movie, <laughs> you are double, triple, quadruple checking everything. Yeah. And then what happens? Sometimes you have to reshoot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you get and you get Superman with a mustache. <laughs> fucking... That is the biggest sign that Hollywood, especially modern Hollywood, is just fucked. It is so stupid. It is so up its own ass. Oh, I I totally agree with Paramount's decision on that, mostly because it was just, it was just the biggest fuck you spot. Yeah, I guess that's the thing. Is I, I'm not emotionally invested either way. I just like how yeah. petty it is. Yeah, it's not about the craft anymore. It's just about screwing over the other guy. But it's also that thing where. The production of Justice League got delayed because, you know, Batman vs. Superman got delayed, you know, and then they had to do the reshoots. So, yeah, it's one of those things where they really did shoot themselves in their own the, in the feet that mm. DC did, realistically Both speaking. Yeah. And, which is ironically when you got a man of steel, so mm. that shit ricochets. The reason why I brought up Christine is this scene very much reminds me of Buddy Repperton's death. Uh, spoilers for a fucking 40 year old movie i guess um but yeah when christine just smashes into the petrol station she's set on fire she's chasing after buddy and yeah i think there's just something a bit of a vibe that's just reminding me of that and i don't know maybe this is so many ways you can film uh, a scene mm. at a petrol station like this i don't know well, I'll bring up one of the ways they shot the explosion. So that comes up in the commentary this minute. But uh, I really want to go into the nerdy in depth at um, so at the fifteenth second of this minute. There's a shot with Emil. We've already mentioned that he's lighting up. Mm. So there's a shot with Emil in the foreground and the service attendant in the background. Ah, oh, spit diopter. Yes. Love Perfect that. I, I, I not that I'm yep. going. Well, I'm still making my way through John Carpenter, but I have watched some uh, Brian De Palma movies and mm. just mm, love it. And he does it the best, I think. Yeah, he apparently uh, used to do it a lot. Oh, sorry, not to go into that, but Dress to Kill, the movie Dress to Kill, has mm-hmm. both Nancy Allen and uh, oh, the kid who plays Arnie in Christine. So it's all bloody connected. Yeah, we're trying not to step too much on Batman its toes but yeah everything's connected yeah um I first knew about this technique from watching Star Trek the motion picture oh. where it's not done that well I'll be honest the uh, shot in Robocop is done a lot better yeah but there's just these because in Robo 
in Robocop, it's really just showing the power dynamic between these two characters with the attendant, like, at the, the, the uh, window, his hands are up, like, he's... he's tra- and he's, he's literally trapped in a cage. Mm. It's... Oh, it, the semiotics, the cinematography, it's all there. It's saying a lot, you know. It's, you know, the power dynamic. It, it's all there. It's mm, beautiful. So in Star Trek, it was like, yeah, we just want to show Captain Kirk in the foreground and some people in the background who don't do anything, but we've got this funky lens we want to make it look funky right yeah i think that's the huge difference is if you're going to use an unusual technique like this uh, also dutch angles is another one where people go yes oh it makes the, the the scene look more interesting yes it does but this isn't a photo shoot it's a film <laughs> so you have to use filmic language you're not just hmm. taking one photo it is a whole yeah. movie well, everyone keeps harping on about how, like, you know, oh, the Dutch angles in the Batman 66 show, but that was part of the wackiness of the show. Yeah, like, I think know, it was a... a very deliberate stylistic choice. I yeah. don't think that's a problem. Yeah, and it works. I mean, I don't think I'd want to see a Dutch angle on a Christopher Nolan, and not that you really want to do it, but, like, you know, Dutch angling Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight probably wouldn't work unless it's, like, really trying to convey how creepy the Joker is, but I mm. don't think the Joker's all that creepy to Or if honest. it's from the perspective of a character who is maybe drugged or hallucinating, yeah. you know, if you're going to do the Scarecrow, for example, um, that's when yeah. I would employ it because it's a yeah. stylistic choice. Mm. I don't recall it even being used for that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They barely use Scarecrow. I... <laughs> yeah. I don't want to go into too much of a tangent, but yeah, just characters who are never utilized properly. It always frustrates me. Mm. He's there. Do something. I don't know. Well, we'll eventually get to that when we guest on the Bat Minutes and Probably. Robin. Yeah. Well, I already, I was already on there talking about Bane, so you know. Yeah. But so the the uh, the Ford Taurus shows up uh, with Robocop, and uh, or maybe Robocop shows up with the Ford Taurus. I don't know. Uh, who who's leading the charge here? Look, maybe the car. They is were also dating a... at the time. Yeah. And they didn't. But <laughs> maybe the car's also a robot. I don't know. Oh. But, uh, yeah, I've been looking into it more, and technically speaking, we have the Ford Taurus to blame for the current era of rounded cars. You know, it really did strike that very sharp line between boxy and and bubble car, basically. Suppositories. I never thought about it, but, yeah, as soon as you said that, I'm like, yeah, really, that makes a lot of sense. And it's so crazy to look at a Taurus now and think... Oh, uh, yeah, that's futuristic, if you say so. But (laughs) they had come from such a long line of square, boxy, rectangular shapes that Mm. this rounded car was something quite revolutionary. And now we're just like, please, dear God, make it stop. Please, please stop. (laughs) Well, it's funny because it was a a 1987 model, wasn't it, the Taurus in this? Yeah, 86 or something. Yeah, I think it was just the prior yeah. come out, yeah. I can't remember, but it was one of, it was, yeah, it was like one of those first generations of this, you know, what became the standard in car design. But, so it was such a so perfect choice on Verhoeven's part, and it doesn't seem like he was, you know, very much yeah. a car guy. He wasn't really thinking too deeply about it. It just, yep, that's the one. That works. It's funny because, you know, in hindsight, this could age the movie badly in many ways because mm. that's how a lot of these things happen. But it's funny how, yeah, it still works because it feels like a very modern car which doesn't date this movie like if this was like a standard 80s bucket of boxy thing you'll probably be a bit oh yeah that that doesn't feel a bit futuristic but 
I, it's an absolute, uh, maybe unintentional, but a stroke of genius that you go, mm. we're bringing it up into the modern age, but it's still, it's not, uh, uh, what do you call it, like a Blade Runner uh, kind of vehicle. Yeah. Spinner. Spinner, yep. I could not for the life of me think of the word. It took me a second. This is one of the things where, yeah, I like how, yeah, it's supposed to be set in the future, but then they don't bother sending a, a, a year, so, mm. you know... It, you don't have to worry about that uh, aging badly. Oh, by the way, uh, the, the Ford Taurus from 1999 is the ugliest car ever created. <laughs> it looks like an ant. It is an insect, not a car. I, oh, I, 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 I It nauseates me to look at Because <laughs> they kept going with, oh, you guys like round? 99? Here's some... Yeah, 99. Oh, shit. Oh, <laughs> first one I saw was black. Yeah, it looks like a bug. Like, doesn't even... It looks more like a bug than a beetle does. Yeah. It, yeah, it really... It's just like, yo, like, round? <laughs> oh, we're gonna keep going round. You want more round? Oh, that side profile's bad. <laughs> it, it's it's like someone took a, got a Porsche and then airbrushed the wrinkles out. Yeah, they, they ironed <laughs> out a Porsche. Yes. So it's gone from frog to ant. God. I think that tracks, yeah. Oh, oh wow. Oh, wow. This is bad. Is that the interior? Oh, God. Even that interior is... Oh, wow. That, that's bad. That's bad. That, that, yeah, that's bad. Yeah. Are you guys... Ford, you were riding so high, you just... You got too, too <laughs> up on your britches there or whatever that phrase is. You yeah. flew too close to the sun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's amazing that this was a car that at one point was the best selling. It was a real turning point in the automotive industry. Everyone loved this particular look. Every other car started being more round and mm. it's sort of come full, well not full, so it's just come around to be this thing that most car fans are so exhausted with. We don't want these curvy cars, please. No more suppositories. <laughs> Well, I guess it makes them easier to insert. Anyway. God, the dashboard. <laughs> I've got to stop. Oh, my God. You know, I'm just going to look at a Saab dashboard so I can calm down a little bit. Saab Just, just need a palate cleanser board. for that. Hey, mm-hmm. Just give me Wow. That. Oh, mm, delicious. <laughs> Beautiful aircraft interior. Yep. <laughs> Saab, if you want to sponsor the, this, uh, please get in contact. Yes. At, uh... Uh, Defunct Swedish automotive industry, uh, company. Uh, yes, please. <laughs> so this is also the minute where um, Murphy brings out the. Are uh, we doing? Oh, line. Robocop! Yeah, yeah, Robocop! Yeah, just steering it back in like a car <laughs> like that's a been car. off the road. <laughs> so yeah, Murphy says the classic line: "Dead or alive, you are coming with me." Hey, which yeah. makes Emil go, "What the fuck?" <laughs> not literally, but... He's feeling it. It's, it's on his face. You know it's coming. Yeah, just as long as it's not coming on his face. hey Oh! <sighs> How did I not get... I normally... I'm normally the dirtiest. <laughs> Speaking of being I dirty... A, uh, well, I saw a burlesque show on Friday, so yeah, I've still got dirtiness in my mind. All right. Uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, 
upshot of, of Robocop is walking towards a meal and just like big old titties. All you see is big old plastic <laughs> Robocop titty coming towards the screen. There was, there was a bit of a dad-ass shot as he's getting out the car I as well. I think they are sexualizing Robocop in this scene, and frankly, I will not stand for it. This is uh, not equality. Uh, Robo- robots. Well, if you go to second 48, you get a lot of light bouncing off that caboose. That's all I'm saying. Mm. <laughs> They're kind of shooting him like a car. I feel that... They are! Thing. They really are! And... Uh, the way they framed the car itself is quite interesting. It's just... Well, so we've been cutting back and forth, Emil doing his thing, and then Robocop driving in to to the scene. And I think just actually seeing the car creeping into frame in the background and remaining there, you mm. kind of... You're marrying these two narratives, which most people just wouldn't even think about. But mm. we need to get a sense of perspective or orientation and you'd be amazed how many movies especially in the early 2000s with the shaky cam and all that shit we weren't oriented in a scene very well yeah i'm going over the cinematography and it's like emil starts off with the writer's screen and then it turns and he you know, turns around and you know it does a loop-de-loop round to him so he's facing he's left the screen facing right and then yeah it cuts to robocop in almost the exact same pose and it's like i Jesus Christ. So good! Yeah, it's not something I really noticed. I, I watched it a few times and just went, oh, that's, that's, that's kind of clever. I'm, I'm scrolling through as I do, and it's just like, oh, my God, well, yeah, we just don't get a lot of this anymore. It's it's just so simple. And, yeah, it, it, it's amazing those very small things, and some somehow we've we've lost a lot of visual storytelling. Yeah, I I mean, a lot of times a character just kind of shows up, and yeah. it's just, oh, okay, I guess these two characters are, are together now. But, yeah. It... Even, like, the lack of establishing shots in movies nowadays is astounding. Hmm, yeah. Like, not even having a an actual, you know, establishing the location is just like, geez, this is just principles fundamentals just how can you screw this up yeah especially with network television it feels like Mm. it's you know pressed for time oh well the audience gets it and in a way yes because visual language has evolved to the point that i think the the famous example is you watch an old trailer from the 80s and you watch one now and Mm. well i think the new ones basically show you the entire movie but yeah it actually doesn't have the inner world and this guy is doing this thing and yeah yeah i miss the inner world guy i kind of think you you lose something because um actually a very good trailer from that era is christine where all you get Hmm. is these very sensual (laughs) rim light shots of curves it doesn't it's not even bright red they've kind of desaturated so is it skin hmm. what is this and then it gets a little bit more red and uh it's like she is <laughs> she is passionate she is envious she is yeah and then you cut to christine light headlights come on real bright really loud engine comes directly at the camera and it's like oh okay hmm. i've got everything i need to know it's just a sense yeah, that... of what the film is yeah, we really don't get a lot of that anymore, which is kind of suck, especially when it's like a comedy, and most of the comedy is like relies on humor. Mm. The problem with a trailer is that you're going to see a trailer. Relies on surprise, yeah. Yeah, so many times before you even get to the movie, and this is kind of one of the problems I had with uh, 
the Ghostbusters remake, not mm. just because it wasn't that funny to begin with, but yeah, you you heard it so many freaking times. Yeah, and then there's like there's actually a joke I thought would have been absolutely killer if I hadn't have seen it fifteen times in the trailer. By the time I got oh, to yeah. the movie, I was just like, yeah, okay. Please, do God, kill me. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, my other note about the Ford Taurus. It, Ford Taurus is just fun to say, um, mm. but. Yeah, uh, it has a point th- uh, three liter Ford Vulcan V6 engine. I'm surprised it's just a V6. Like, I, it's huh. not a huge engine, but it's got a good sound. And I don't know if maybe they've maybe they put a, a different sound on top. I don't know. Well, they've probably they've probably done that in post, but uh, it's only a consumer car, so I wouldn't expect it to be have much more. But uh, mm. never, never, never know. Uh, I would expect it to be like a four cylinder or something like that. But um, the movie car, they might have decked it out a bit better. True. Well, the the police car is supposed to be a bit more state-of-the-art in the movie. Like, I'd love to know if they did modify it, yeah. Yeah. The book kind of goes like, you know, they have names for it, and it's always that thing like the Turbo Cruiser. So it's like, you know, it really gives a sense that this thing's a beast of a machine. Hmm. So um, the script in the book are pretty similar. There really is not much difference. Except we get a lot of classic padding because it the book reveals that uh the gas station attendant is seventeen year old Mickey Radford who wanted to be an astronaut. Hmm. Astronaut. So this is kind of saying why he's doing this. He's like trying to become a pilot and an astronaut and and apparently He is not seventeen. No, oh, this guy is not seventeen. No, hmm. <laughs> you know he, you know he's he's had a bit of a hard life. If that's a seventeen, I know you never know. I don't know. That's like I'm I'm nearly thirty now, and I look at some people who are nearly thirty. It's like Jesus Christ, are you on meth? You look so bad. Oh God. <laughs> he looks a bit a little bit like Scott from Tripod, but uh, that's a bit of a deep cut. <laughs> oh yeah, God, Tripod. I haven't thought of that in years. <laughs> oh, um, by the way, sorry to interrupt, but um, no, I right. found the answer to how they set Christine on fire, because this is uh, Welcome oh, cool. to the Christine Movies by Minute podcast, um, where the the episodes actually go backwards the more you listen, like her odometer. <laughs> anyway, um, to ignite the famous burn car, it was covered in rubber cement uh, during production yep. and lit on fire. That's that's mortal glue. <laughs> yeah, rubber cement, mortal glue. Yeah, so you get a you get a long sustained burn. It doesn't spread. It says contained, and I believe it only burns the cement. So you can well, you probably start to scrape it off. But can't wait to play yeah. with some rubber cement and a match now. <laughs> <laughs> YouTuber destroys their flat. <laughs> oh my god! You know what you just made me realize is that if I die, that is what they're gonna say. YouTuber dies, <laughs> probably doing some stupid shit. <laughs> they only saw a burnt out toy hot reel car and some uh, and some lighter fluid yeah <laughs> speaking of special effects I'm, I'm too afraid to set my die cast on fire but also it would be pretty fucking rad I don't know. <laughs> you you could probably get away with a little bit of um a little bit of petrol or something like that so oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There, there are ways. We don't uh, advocate 
setting shit on fire, listeners. I'm I'm sorry. We we just we were thinking. No thought experiments. No, it's it's this is all purely educational. You know, we do not recommend setting stuff on fire. We do not say you should uh, cover stuff in rubber cement and light it with a match, no matter how cool it looks. Don't try to and uh, uh, yeah. And I think at this point we should stop talking about setting stuff on fire. Anyway, according to the commentary, a lot of the special effects weren't ready. <laughs> Safety first. Um, yeah. Um, apparently, uh, okay. So in the script, it's just pretty much like thing blow up. Uh, essentially, the script is. Uh, so what happened was is um, I'm not sure if it was Paul or, or the, they had storyboards. I'm not sure, but apparently they had a whole lot of uh, what they call gags they wanted to set up for the shot. So like, you know, like the the petrol moving towards the the cigarettes and all that type of stuff. Or, you know, Emil spraying the petrol all over the place and stuff like that. Things, you know, all those shots. The only effect they had ready to go was the explosion. Hmm. That's the important one. Yeah, so they they set it all that up. They got you know, they, you know, made it all safe and everything like that. So apparently, you know, the stuntmen were pissed that they had to set up all these other things safely and make sure, you know, all the you know, petrol goes in the right places and all stuff. Set up all the gags and, yeah, apparently uh, Ed pissed off the stunt crew because he was asking about it and they were just so fucking angry because they had to set up all the shit they didn't realise they had to do. <laughs> but he does mention this, so he talked last minute about uh, coverage of explosions. I'm not sure... It's definitely not in this minute, so it's obviously something coming up in the next minute or two. Ed points out that one of the cameramen in the explosion scene I think it's next minute he's lying underneath a blanket close to the to the petrol station to get a shot mm. obviously he's wearing a fire blanket and stuff like that apparently he was pissed off that the explosion wasn't big enough mm. <laughs> so that's all my notes yeah oh no one thing I was one thing I was going to bring up is now we're watching this now there's stuff going on with Murphy we've not seen Robocop Whip that much when dealing with bad guys. Do you think that that dream and maybe the interaction with Murphy is why he now you know subconsciously uses the dead or alive line? Mm. Oh yeah, so a part of him is awakening. Yeah, mm. and I wouldn't say it's the recognition of a meal because that seems to be a thing that really kind of comes about in the next minute. Oh, that was my other note. Is so Emil recognizes Robocop. How? From the line. From the line. From just that alone? I mean, it's not the most unique thing. Yeah, but, like, it's not like they're really disguising Murphy's voice, and it does take him a while. It's just that thing of, like, he's probably looking at the, you know, the mouth, the jaw, the line, the, inc the inclination. Mm. It's probably they're going, hang on. It's like if I, I... Apparently, there's a lot of Courtneyisms. I didn't realise, but most of my listeners or viewers are just like, you are a wealth of hilarious phrasing going... I, that's just how I talk, man. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, like, yeah, one of our episode titles is, you just got to smash it out. And I read that and I immediately went, oh, yeah, I do talk like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the script, it says, uh, as direction, it says, uh, Emil has heard these words before. He stares at robots, staggered by a nightmare deja vu. Deja vu? I just feel like I've been here before. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's definitely one of those things where it's... Uh, you would think a guy who just has probably murdered dozens of people by now. The gang has murdered, was it, 40-odd cops. 
you would think, you know, oh, that just washes off. But maybe it's just recent enough and, you know, it's just that thing where it just triggered. Mm. So, memory. Hmm, interesting. But um, I like it. I like to think of it from the Robocop's point of view. If he hadn't have had the dream and if he hadn't have met Lewis, would have that triggered that response? Mm. So, yeah, food for thought. It's never solved. I just thought it'd be interesting as a thought experiment. Mm. And that's all me done. Yep, I, I guess it's a fucking gaslighting Robocop now. Alex, how do you feel? I feel fine, Dr. Norton. Aye. This minute begins yep. with locking and loading and ends with unloading. And uh, my yeah. note is Hocus Pocus by Focus is more interesting than the action on screen. <laughs> that is the song they've decided to use. And also, that's another thing. Music choices in a film. I think, I mean, there's nothing wrong with using contemporary music. And in some films, that music is just so iconic and becomes so much a part of mm. the film i mean you know uh simple minds and breakfast club obviously i mean th- those two yeah. things are just so intertwined the twin peaks actually i was surprised to learn this the theme song already existed mm-hmm. that is an existing song it wasn't really composed. yeah and and then in the the return the third season he uses a mm-hmm. lot of contemporary music so I feel like it's done to it's it's very consciously done. It's done to a particular effect, whereas something like the Robocop remake or Suicide Squad, I think you can really tell when it's disingenuous <laughs> and it's this kind of attempt to build oh. excitement, generate interest. Like, yeah, don't you love this song? Isn't this really putting you in the zone? Eh. The the I, uh well, the original Suicide Squad, the music selection is <sighs> generic. It's no, it's not even generic. It was very thought out. Yeah, the, the selection was very just cookie cutter by the numbers. Like, yeah, Dan Olsen does a really great video on this, but it's also one of those things that it was just a shortcut for storytelling. It's just it was so shorthand to get the audience very quickly on board of what this character is by the music selection, but then they still introduce the characters like five fucking times. Yep. My only line for this minute of gaslighting is badass line isn't mm. robo flags line is just i'm not saying the b word no i'm not saying it just uh, this is an action scene that just makes me go where's the action yeah i i there's nothing to invest me it's a training montage first of all and <laughs> it is that's generally quite a difficult thing oh by the way in the background it says mcu which makes me think of better movies (laughs) so good job robocop remake yeah uh even fucking roshak goes like you know this is the deal you know are you i hit you you scrap if you hit me you go through to the next round so it's like thinking like yeah we already know he's gonna fucking win because you you you're establishing you're establishing an all or nothing stake but but literally well no we're not halfway through this fucking mess we're 50 minutes into this damn mess. We don't give the original Robocop much of a training montage. What we do, it's much more economical. So we, even though Mm. this Robocop movie is about half an hour longer than the original, and for good reason, it's just so much slower, but for not, (laughs) not for any particular reason. So... Yeah, no. it's drawn out, so I can I can absolutely see the scriptwriters now going, 
or the producers just going, you know, the scene where Robocop is just shooting that big ass motherfucking gun <laughs> and all the other cops are like, whoa, what is that? Yeah, that wasn't enough. Yeah. We need to draw this out. <laughs> and yeah, that's another, you know, we're talking about structure in the, in the last minute. And another very pivotal thing is what do you decide to place mm. focus on? And uh, yes. now that I'm uh, editing someone else's writing, I noticed that what they didn't realize is, you know, he would write every line of dialogue. So a character comes in and says, oh, your, your guest has arrived. And they just go, you know, and he said this and she said this. Like, you can just have the servant come in and say, your guest has arrived. Or they lead the guest in. Like, you don't have to go through every little step. This is that. R- Robocop 2014 is every single fucking step between point A and point B. Was it uh, enter, enter light, leave early? Mm, yeah, exactly. Um, I, I think <laughs> what people are going to be most interested in is where there are stakes. I think if I had to break every story in the universe down to its most fundamental... Le- it's progress and it's stakes. And there is no progress here, there's no stakes here. Well, why wasn't this scene where it's Robocop versus the VR dummy robot scene? Well, we've already done it. Yeah, that's another point. Is This is this is like Suicide Squad and introducing the characters twice. Like, we yeah. just had the fucking, you know, if only I had a heart scene. <laughs> Which, you know, what, compared to this, <sighs> I think that last training montage mm. was actually a lot better this this yeah. whole fucking scene here is shit can we actually veto the rest of this scene can we actually just jump ahead so that we actually <laughs> we are we are actually we do end up reviewing the whole thing but not the whole thing if uh, you know what i mean like we do get to the end but <laughs> this might be something we have to talk outside of the podcast we'll about, think about it we'll think about it. i mean we'll think about it we don't have enough listeners we don't have enough viewers to uh i'm sorry just turning to the greatest generation i'm sorry i'm sorry um <laughs> we don't have enough listeners hey. to uh vote I hey anyone who's listening Comment it, comment below, and we'll see what we do. Yeah, because fuck the scene. <sighs> this is something I was probably gonna. If okay, so if we're not going to do it, I'm very tempted to not fucking do it. Yeah. One of the things I also hate about this scene is there is literally no weight to it in the sense of you've got these CGI robots, and they look like they weigh nothing. Yeah. They're like feathers there's no physics to this and even robocop is just like going eh, click 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 there's no fucking drama and, and what, to yeah, this what what is this scene establishing or, or what are we learning that we didn't in the last scene and i actually think oh, i mentioned this but i really liked the sort of philosophical divide between jackie Earl haley and gary oldman i think their characters mm. had quite an interesting dynamic there that just do more of that uh, not this move on we're ready he's done his training montage the, the superhero is ready to fight crime and do all that stuff oh i just realized something this is their version of the cocaine shootout uh, oh god it's mm, the the cocaine factory shootout when um yep. robocop goes and arrests um Botica. This is that, huh? You know, you know. It's funny though. Bad. Is that, that that scene was like and less cocaine, and uh, yeah, had coke. <laughs> so that was very important. But also, man, I really want to watch Miami Vice now. You're not exactly up my alley, style and persona wise. For some 
reason. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I just don't understand. I mean, I know there are so many different people working on a film that it's amazing anything gets done at all. Mm, which yes. I think makes something like the original Robocop so spectacular when you think this was a script that was just thrown in the bin initially. It was mm. retrieved out of said bin. Uh, yeah. And it managed to get from script to screen in in one piece, mostly. I think the problem with a movie like this is because it is a corporate decision to mine a franchise that's familiar. Hmm. So there's no impetus behind the creative force to create something interesting, new, unique. There, okay, so there are people that can take a movie, recreate it, add some flavor to it, and make something really interesting and worthwhile. But movies like this, the impetus is not about that. It's about mm. money cashing in. And again, this is one of my problems with uh, a lot of the remakes. I, I, I could name so many where it's just like, they probably have got a creative, a, a insanely creative force behind it. But mm. at the end of the day, the people at the top do not give a shit. There's no one pushing for this movie to be interesting in the slightest. They just yeah. fucking shit it out, get it out so they can get the nostalgia bucks, and that's it. I uh, said this on the Airwolf Years podcast recently. We're talking about bringing Knight Rider back, and I said every single Knight Rider... You look like crap. Fuck you, kid! Oh, there's a cop in the back. Oh, I've gone to be arrested yep. by Robocop. Here it comes. Um, we, 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 we've we said bad things about the remake. Oh. Um, that scared him off. Yeah, oh, cool. Uh, Doppler effect. So, <laughs> yeah, I said on the Airwolf years about why every adaptation of or remake or sequel, reboot, makequel um, of Knight Rider has failed is because the person behind it fundamentally isn't curious about hmm. that story they haven't spent time living with that story going hmm i wonder what happened if this or that uh the same way we hmm. have with robocop or um yeah. let's talk about christine again i'm sorry it's just my, my own latest thing. <laughs> that's why okay so this is gonna put a time stamp on this episode but okay this is i'm very curious about this we've already talked about the suicide squad and that came out three weeks by the time this is coming yeah. out so that's that's going to be directed by Brian Fuller, who is a huge Stephen King fan, and mm. he has a fair amount of creative control. You know, he, he's a fairly known entity in the industry. Yeah. He can sort of push back. So I'm very curious. Like, is that one where it's going to show? Yes, someone who has spent a lot of time thinking about this story wants to explore things about this story. Is that what it takes? Whereas this Robocop remake, I don't know if that director even had seen Robocop prior. Yeah, it's there's always a little bit of that. Do they do they know what they're doing? Mm. There's also fans who should never be allowed to work on a project. Nothing. Yeah. But it's interesting when you get someone who does have a deep love of a property and they have established credits and they you know they've got the chops. So you just you see that does get you excited. I mean, I hate to say it, like James Gunn being announced to do write and direct the Suicide Squad made me just go, well, they were trying to make a, a cheap, shitty knockoff of a James Gunn movie yeah. post. We really so, want a James Gunn movie. Should we hire James Gunn? No, don't do that. What are you doing? 
Yeah, for DC and Warner Brothers, the stars aligned, at least in that aspect. And I will be honest, I think The Suicide Squad might be one of the the best superhero movies. It's probably one of the best. It's, the, it's definitely the best in the DCEU, just in terms of cinema. It Just in terms of movie making, it's mm. tightly written. It's well scripted. The acting's superb. The editing's great. The... The fear effects and stuff like that, blah, 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 blah. It's good. So I guess, you know what, I, I in a way I kind of like aspects of where modern cinema is going in terms of, well, hmm. we made this movie about three years ago, compl- made a complete balls of it, let's do it again. <laughs> I kind of well, like the funny it- thing about Gunn is that he... He tries to. He does lean into a lot of seventies retro storytelling. Nice. So, but yeah, I think that's. I don't know. Like it's more like theater, where it's just mm. we're going to do a new production of Suicide Squad. Yeah, yeah, no big deal. We've talked about this in the past, but it is interesting that theater is essentially you know constantly remaking the same thing, but because you've always got different creative forces behind it and different creative visions behind it. It could be the exact same script, but each director, theatre director, each actor brings their own thing to it. I, l- I would love the idea of butthurt fanboys going, Oh, they're doing another Phantom of the Opera! Jeez, why? <laughs> like, y- yeah. No, I think everyone's just there going, Oh, good, we can get rid of that Joel Schumacher one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Good. Oh, no, it's actually directed by Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, I guess that's all my notes, all the points I had to make. Yeah, I think I ran out of notes 15 minutes ago, and I've just been vamping. But just bullshitting, yeah. <laughs> it's been fun. All right, where can we find you, Simon? I guess you can find me at Fandom Crossing and Helios Photos. Just look for the YouTubes and the Facebooks. Oh, the links are below. Look at the links. And where can they find you? And you can find me at TravianDesigns.com, T-R-A-V-I-A-N. And I don't think I could ever say Travian without assuming people don't know how to spell it, because it's... So it's a made-up word. Yeah. So there's no way in yeah. hell you're going to get it. Um, that's where you can find my <laughs> photo shoots and my podcasts and writing and just everything. Um, and then you can find me on YouTube as Courtney Coulson talking about my life as a male-to-female to... Female-to-male-to-female detransitioner. And also there is the Greatest Regeneration on Instagram uh, where I go through the 1980s in chronological order. And when you've, like, gone through all that ridiculous amount of content on Courtney's sites, you can check us out on Simplecast, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, most podcasting things. Say hello on Instagram. Yeah, we've got Instagram and... Don't have a Twitter, but that's because... No, we got a Twitter. We do got a Twitter. We have a Twitter? Yeah. Okay. Uh, don't get a lot of attention there, so feel free to go on over there. Yeah. Just, yeah, and while you're there, like, share, subscribe, comment, link, whatever, share with your friends, share with none of your friends, you know, maybe you hate them and want to torture them for uh, 45 minutes listening to two people get really anally obsessed about camera lenses mm. and cars, although cars is probably a bit more, you know, people like cars, I guess cars are cool. Yeah, universal <laughs> appeal, that's what, that's what we're going for. Just, just feed the algorithm, hmm. feed it. Until next time. Dances with Robocock. Love it. Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. Oh, <laughs>